Audi. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. Now, there aren't many people who would correct George Clooney on set, but doing this on his first film as an extra led to former paratrooper Paul Biddis having a huge change in career, going from surveillance and bodyguard to Hollywood military advisor. He's since worked with Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Sam Mendes and others all over the world. He's been chased by a baboon in Kenya, charged by elephants in the Masai Mara, wrangled huge snakes in Malaysian swamps and most importantly to him anyway, has been able to seek out the KFC in every worldwide location. Paul Biddis is on the Big Travel Podcast. Have you been grounded? Where have you been? Where are you right now? Uh, I'm in Oxfordshire. Little uh, place near Chipping Norton, little village. So uh, yes, it's, it's been good. The rest has been good actually. I've needed it because I've been non-stop. Because obviously we've been trying to arrange this for a while, but I've never hardly been in the country. So I've just been all over the place. And at, and you're in a beautiful part of the country. It's in the Cotswolds, I do believe. That's it. Yeah. So it's just you know I can we can walk around anywhere. You know, it's very sort of closed off. So we're not. You know, all, you know, sort of everyone together, sort of thing. If you know, if, you, know you can be on your own, <laughs> walk about. So tell me, tell me a little bit about. So you, you're a you were a paratrooper. You're not a paratrooper anymore, but you started off. Oh, as you're a always a paratrooper. Once... Always a paratrooper. I was going to say, once a paratrooper, always a paratrooper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that must have been. I mean, we have had a couple of military men on before. We've had Ken Haim, so I think you know. Ken, yeah, yeah. Yeah, both contacts, both of you contacts from my uh, friend, Keith, uh, who writes books. Yeah, Keith Turnbull, or the author. And um, tell me a little bit about your, your paratrooper experience. Varied experience over 24 years and obviously deployments over that time. And in my last sort of posting was at RAF Bryce Norton, Oxfordshire, which is where I stayed. And that was mainly because of my son, Chandler, my youngest son, who has cerebral palsy. I had the best hospitals in Oxfordshire, so I got myself posted there. I mean, that was quite an interesting post because I was sort of dealing with lots of other types of parachute. It's not just the normal, our normal basic airborne, but special forces as well. Um, and then, then I got out. Got out and then went into the security industry as a bodyguard and um, a surveillance operator. You know, from a, a, point, a travel point of view, um, I guess you've been all over the place. But let's start with being in the Paris. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more to it than the travel. But you you must be like, you know, sent into all sorts of difficult terrains around the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's various, various uh, terrains, desert, um, uh, the Arctic, jungle, 
Uh, it's and urban as well. So, you know, places that are just like your hometown and you're patrolling in them and you're in a hostile environment. Um, so it's very different environments and the environments themselves can be hostile, not just the enemy. So you, you um, obviously, there's a lot of things you can't tell me. What's the most secret thing you can't tell me? Can't tell you. <laughs> where's the, where's the, been the, the most, um, you know, sort of awe-inspiring place that you, you can tell me? You know, what's been the, the real stand-up moment that you're allowed to tell me? When I was chased by a baboon in um, Kenya, it was this, um, yeah. these herd, well, I can't remember what they call it, a pack of baboons, and it was the, obviously the big one, and he just come racing out of the pack, and we was all on a big four-tonner, and everyone just went, whoa, and he just sort of hunched his shoulders up like that and uh, showed his teeth. That was that was something I remember. Uh, I remember, was it, I can't remember what was it, getting charged by a bull elephant um, when we was uh, in the Masai Mara. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not the greatest of travellers. Uh, when I was filming out in uh, South Africa, uh, I got a, had a real nice plush hotel apartment type thing got table mountain in the in the background and everyone's like oh you've been at table mountain I went nah i can see it from my window <laughs> uh, like budapest yeah i can see the 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 parliament there and he was oh have you gone to visit here i said nah i can see it from my window i know where kfc is though um, <laughs> so that's sort of normally my my sort of uh, my my uh, travel type thing where i'll just go and find where the nearest kfc is or something like that in the gym that's the other thing as well. Gyms around the right. world. I can do a thing about gyms around the world. You definitely look like you work out still. Uh, I have to. Even in, <laughs> in lockdown. Uh, just, I just wanted to pick up on something that you said before. You talked about your son, but haven't you got five sons? Got five boys. Five children? Yeah, five boys. Um, five boys. How yeah. old are they? Um, 25 is the eldest and 20 is the youngest. One's now left. The rest are still at home. Hang on, I'm just calculating. 25 to 20, so you had five kids under five. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, oh, sorry, no, no, hang on. But it's, in fact, I might be no slightly wrong because Tyler, it, sorry, Chandler is nearly 21 and Callum is actually 26, I think. I might have got them wrong. Terrible dad, aren't I? Because I can't remember their ages. Do you know what? With, with five kids, I don't. I'm surprised. I'm surprised you remember their names, let alone their birthdays. I do get their ages. names mixed up quite a bit sometimes. So. So you've been off travelling the world while you've had your, your five children. Now, um, tell us the story about how you went from paratrooper to Hollywood's advisor, which you technically are. Um, just, I, I never planned it. It's not something I, you know, when you do, when you get out of the army, you do a resettlement. Um, and I, I sort of preempted everything two years in advance. So I, I, my drive was close protection, surveillance, that was that was it. And because I had a bit of a background with surveillance when I was in, um, some things I can't talk about, but uh, the army weren't happy with me for doing it. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, yeah. I was actually, what, can, what can you tell us about that? Nothing at all? All I can say is I stopped the army or the MOD abusing a pension commitment that was robbing soldiers of their pensions um essentially you can call it whistleblowing but it affected my family and i made sure they suffered and they know that i'm in the worst place possible uh, as someone with an axe to grind they were saving about i think about 3.6 billion on soldiers pensions by effectively forcing them out to stop them from getting to their pension points 
It's very sort of a touchy subject, but it's uh, the detail of it is what you might read in a book at some point. And actually, a couple of actors are very interested in it as well. Well, I, you have great contacts with actors, don't you? So let's let's talk about that a little bit. How you how you did go from the the Paris to you know you uh, into surveillance first of all, and then what happened after that? So um, we had a, a bit of obviously getting out. You're, you're trying to find your feet. You're you're re-networking. You're you're and everyone's getting out. You know, so loads of soldiers are getting out, and most soldiers go into the into the security industry. Um, and it's, you know, it's a very dog-eat-dog world, which I, I sort of learned. And I learned, you know, it's different from the military. And there was an advert for soldiers, ex-soldiers, to go in a film uh, as extras. And I didn't even know what extras were. Not, not something that I'd ever thought about. And um, it was a film called Monuments Men that was directed by George Clooney. So I thought, yeah, why not? You know, it's there's nothing going on. So I applied and I got uh, taken on the book straight away. Went to uh, Leaveston Studios, I think it was, and they picked me out straight away to be a core, uh, one of the core um, soldiers. And what that means is that it's someone they feel, right, he's got a look and we want him up front in the camera with the actors and you'll get you so you get a core group and you get a deep background. The deep background will be little specks on the thing. So that's it. And I, they made me as a sergeant, and, and then we started filming that. And then they had a scene, and they needed to pick some guys for that scene. Uh, and all that happened was they picked me and said, "Oh yeah, we want you to be in this Land Rover." And um, the scene is where it's a a convoy is driving down a road. John Goodman is in the back of a truck with a, a French guy who's wounded, and they wanted uh, wanted us to drive right up, get out, and look at John Goodman. It was all about the the realities of war. You wouldn't, you know, you don't you don't say anything. You just look at it and and anything else. And the military advisor there at the time, he wasn't there. He was somewhere else. He was on another set, and the, his assistant was right up the other end of the road, sorting the convoy up. And it wasn't even that sort of thing where I looked, oh, there's an opportunity, I'll grab it. Because, again, I just didn't think about it. And all I said to the director, um, Clooney, was, can I make a suggestion? This is D-Day plus four. You wouldn't drive right up to a land, uh, to a burning truck like that. You would stop short at least 30 metres, get out, survey the area, because it could be an ambush. Uh, and, you know, survey the area and then just walk a couple of metres forward to look forward. And that's it. That's all I did. And he took that advice and went, yeah, like that. Ran with it, took it. And I remember, what I remember about this was they um, they called me, I got called over, uh, myself and the other guy that came out. And they went, oh, Paul, can you, oh, you two, can you come here and all this? And uh, I was like, okay. And I remember two of the other extras saying, oh, that's you, sat then. Because I, <laughs> I said something. Because apparently, obviously, like, extras are supposed to be seen and not heard. And then it took off from there. I then got called in. A uh, couple of weeks later, to Pinewood, and I was asked to conduct the boot camps for Fury, the Brad Pitt film, and nice. I, I then selected um, the best. Um, what was it? The best three hundred out of twelve uh, out two thousand hopefuls, uh, and then I was there right throughout the filming. I was technically still an extra, but I was being paid more because I was sort of the extras advisor to the ads, the assistant directors. So I was low key, but it was. I was starting to make a name for myself. And then it just took off from there. 
Really? Took off from there. I mean, took off from there. Your first two movies are with George Clooney and Brad Pitt. That sounds pretty good to me. Well, yeah, I mean, it, I was still low-key at the time. So, it, I, I mean, it was still sort of... I was still a... Technically, I was still an extra, but I was just getting my name known. Uh, and my first big break was War and Peace for the BBC, where I was... That was me as a proper advisor um, on production. And... Um, then it, and then I went straight from there onto Jason Bourne, and it's just gone boom, 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 boom. Then obviously up to nineteen seventeen. With um, with Jason Bourne, you, and because this is a travel podcast from a travel point of view, I remember that you were in Paris. Were you with him? No, Tenerife. Tenerife. Tell me what what happened there. What was that like? That's an interesting place to film. I can't remember. I'm trying to think what bits in the film were actually were they based in Tenerife? The Greek riot scene. So they picked oh, an area that yes. was like uh, the central area where the, all the Greek riots took place. Uh, and we went. There. I mean, War and Peace was all filmed in Lithuania, which has started filming again now. Uh, one of my friends out there, like, you know, I met a lot. I've got made a lot of friends because I filmed out there twice now, and um, they've started filming. So I'm like, oh, okay, there might be a job going. Um, but yeah, to Tenerife. It was in. Um, I remember now. It was the north part. It was it was the less touristy part, and um, I went there, put a boot camp together, trained all the extras in as writers and riot police. Trained the stunts, did some training with, um, uh, but I forgot his name now, um, Matt Damon, who's a nice bloke. And um, yeah, took it from there, really. Uh, and, and I didn't really visit anywhere again. I'm not the, that type of traveller. So I didn't really visit many places um, until the wife came out. And then she made me go to some some holiday area where I sat, got drunk, and watched two old women having a fight with a flip-flop. <laughs> Were you tempted to intervene? <laughs> no, no, I just watched and laughed. I thought it was quite funny. She said, <laughs> I, remember, I remember my wife saying, that woman's boob's going to fall out in a minute, and it did. It fell out while she was hitting her mate with a flip-flop, and I was just like... <laughs> That's Tenerife for you. I mean, no, there's part. Don't, um, don't get me wrong. There's, there's parts of Tenerife that are absolutely gorgeous. It's almost moonscapey, you know, some of the landscape, um, you know, in in the interior. But you do get your, you do get your, you know, your your dodgy English tourists as well. Was there a KFC? That's the most important thing. Oh, I can't remember now. No, I don't think there was. Um, I think because where we were was, um, and I can't remember the name of the name of it now. But it was in a, it was it was the not it was a place it was a port. It wasn't a touristy area, um, and the contrast from where we were filming, which was really nice, and and yeah, there was no lager louts and anything else, and then you travel about forty minutes down the road, and then you've got all these people that are perfectly fit driving around in mobility scooters and drinking pints and, and fighting and everything else, you know, so complete contrast and you can see how sometimes we do spoil things for for other countries. <laughs> it is amazing. I've seen the mobility scooters as well and you think actually there's some many, many beautiful parts of Tenerife but the the um the bad parts are just it's kind of good. Like it's it's almost like everyone's enclosed into the is it the Playa de las Americas, I think. That's it, um, that's just, where we went. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went for a little wander there one day and I was like, okay, that's enough. You know, I like to see this stuff. And also I don't I don't mind a cheesy tourist resort myself because I love a late night bar. I'm quite happy, you know, having cocktails and dancing or whatever, but this wasn't it didn't seem that sort of fun. <laughs> yeah. Well the the last time I was out there was um I was supposed to be going back out there. Um, for something called Foundation, which is for Apple TV. 
um, which obviously we stopped filming because of this. So we're going to Malta and and um, um, and Tenerife to film. Um, big, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's a big science fiction thing. It's basically the books that um, gave George Lucas and uh, Gene Roddenberry the inspiration for Star Wars and Star Trek. Oh, and it's nice. this, yeah, you know, it's quite big. Like. But the last time I was out, I was out in uh, around Tenerife and, and Future Ventura, I think it was called. Was when I was doing surveillance, which was because uh, I was still doing surveillance in between filming as well, and I went out there to um, do a job, basically being paid to. Um, I can't really say too much about that, really, but I was being paid to do something out there. So, so many questions about that one. Like, I wanna, uh, there's too many questions I want to ask, but actually, two main questions I want to ask. Uh, you know, you're in, you're on set with Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, and George Clooney. What? Not all at the same time. What? What happens? Like, do you hang around with them? Do you go? You know, do you go to like the pub afterwards? You know, do you? Yeah, sometimes you. I mean, you're in the you're in a hotel, and and yeah, you know, you're not not so much with uh, George Clooney and and um, uh, Brad Pitt because I was again I was just sort of very low down on on the, on the, the sort of uh, the food chain I suppose is a way to say it. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I was in the bar with uh, Matt Damon I, in the gym with him. I remember him going up and says, "Oh, can I, can I, can I use the barbell now?" And I just looked at him and went, "Nah," and just carried on pushing. <laughs> um, yeah, he laughed like um, I, I had a good chin wag with him. I, I tend what I tend to do is not get too pally. I I sort of have a little bit of a distance. Um, because I don't want them getting, you know, too complacent with what they're doing, and 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 I don't want to get too complacent either, you, you know. So I, I tend to be a bit of a, a, a bit of a grey man, you know. But sometimes I'm getting invited out by by cast members, by actors, and I'm sort of like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll be out, but I don't go out, so I, you know, I just sort of uh, I make excuses, so <laughs> I turn them down. <laughs> this is your this is your surveillance and this is probably why you're so well suited to that sort of work is that you know you know you can sort of keep yourself to yourself has your surveillance work taken you to lots of exotic places around the world um i wouldn't say exotic mainly around london following dodgy blokes around the m25 and uh sort of places like that and uh <laughs> that's that's where that's taken me but i mean like i say like the canary islands i was, I was doing the job there the these dodgy blokes that who is who is hiring you is it a private thing yeah it's it's a it's um a a firm that i was i was trained under and they have uh something that comes up on your phone to say look two operatives required for blah 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 um and it'll come out of all the details and if you get it then all of a sudden all the information is downloaded maps uh tracker id if they have a tracker on their car um which is legal um all that sort of stuff, really. Um, but say so I don't do that anymore. I don't get a chance. It sounds like a, a movie itself. It's not that exciting, especially when you're stuck in a car for hours on end, and it's weather like this, and uh, you're just waiting for your, your what you call a trigger, and you're just waiting for your alpha, which is you know a male, um, which you'd call like alpha one, and you're literally there going, yeah, alpha one's now leaving Bravo, completing Charlie one, and I'm now. On the route, moving, and then you blah, 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 and then that's it, and that's as exciting as it gets. You might get a little <laughs> rush of blood when they're coming out, and you're like stand by, stand by, and then you're following them down the road, and you're in a free car surveillance team, sort of changing cars. So the guy, be, you know, the the guy being followed is always seeing a different car following, so he doesn't get thinking, oh, hang on, I'm being tired. Yeah, so there's a lot of technical stuff to it, 
But it's not that exciting. It's always men, isn't it? Have you ever had to follow any dodgy women around? <laughs> There's people to follow. Um, they're actually they're actually more surveillance aware, believe it or not. Oh, no, I do believe it. Why, why? Tell me why women are harder to follow. They're always looking over their shoulder. They're more dodgy, that's why. So, <laughs> um, so tell me, uh, as we, this is the Big Travel Podcast, where else have you been? Where is where has been sort of standout places for you in t- terms of a travel point of view? Well, we're filming, I was filming in Croatia last year, so I finished, um, that, that was very nice, Croatia, um, in Zagreb. I, was, I had an apartment there for, uh, for six months, so this nice apartment just on the... In, in Zagreb itself, it was a three-bedroom apartment all to myself, and so we travelled all around because there's lots of locations there for filming. And we, well, I think we filmed in Zagreb. It doubled up for Afghanistan. It doubled up for um, Hong Kong. It doubled up for Mexico. Um, it doubled up for so many different countries. Was I mean they, they were going all around the world on on that one. That was the last season that, that that aired. The season prior to that was all in Malaysia. So I was in uh, Kuala Lumpur. Um, was in um, JB. Was in Singapore. So and you know we were filming from one minute we we're filming in a plush high rise, and then the next day we we're filming in a a fly infested swamp. Doing this, you know, this uh, this jungle mission. So you fly, you know, all over the place around there. Uh, so um, again, that doubled up for different places. It doubled up for uh, Johor, in you know, and and it doubled up for Hong Kong and and Russia. And, and so, it's, you know, again, it, with the locations that are picked are picked specifically so they can double up for different locations around the world that takes the strike back team. And what was which? Uh movie was that for or program was that strike back which is um sky one um it's a program it's a 10 episode program about uh, a uk special forces team that basically go around the world and save it it's either a nuclear bomb a chemical um or uh, some sort of computer virus that will destabilize the world blah 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 popcorn has anyone has anyone sort of a global pandemic that will lock us all in our houses or something ridiculous like that but uh it's a bit far-fetched isn't it what stand what stood out about malaysia to to you tell me i love uh anecdotes on the podcast and stories um and i love malaysia it's really beautiful country and actually it's kind of asia light it's um a very easy asian country compared to to some parts of asia yeah um I suppose like we was on location. There was this massive python that got pulled, uh, got caught. Sorry, by we had we had snake wranglers with us, and he was huge. I got a picture of him. I, I stuck him over. Everyone was like, "Oh, there's a snake like that." And I remember the uh, you, know, you had the actors all like, oh, you know, Warren Brown and, and Dan McPherson and, and Ellen, and they're all like, oh, "Oh, ooh, the snake!" And I just went, "Right." It's time for the military advisor to step up and show him how it's done. So I just grabbed hold of him and stuck him over my neck and got a picture with it. And then from then on, they all wanted it. You know, so, but um, I mean, it's again, I, I met you know, monkeys just on the road. That was the one thing. It was like these monk, like just packs of monkeys, just, you know, you're driving down the road and there's loads of them just stood on the roadside looking at you and out, in the, you, know, out you know, just in the middle of nowhere. You know, a couple of miles from Kuala Lumpur, and there's a load of monkeys just stood by the road having a having a KFC that's just been left by the roadside. I found the KFC in Kuala Lumpur quite easy. 
Do you know what? I, I'm laughing at you, but I'm kind of laughing with you. But I, I really get. I don't eat meat, so I don't. I don't go to KFC. But I get the value. I've been to McDonald's all around the world, and I've. I don't go to McDonald's here. I go maybe once a year, if that. But um, there's something really valuable about when you're traveling to actually go somewhere that's familiar. You know what you're going to eat. You know you're probably not going to get a dodgy stomach. There's nice toilets. You know it's cool. There's air conditioning. It just feels like a little oasis sometimes. And when you're in middle, say Bangkok, you know, to find like a a, a McDonald's or similar. So I, I am laughing at you, but kind of with you as well. <laughs> Thing is, my normal routine when I go out when I'm on location, I'm quite boring really is I'll get up, I'll go for a run early in the morning, go on set, do a 12-hour shift, because it's normally about 12-hour filming day, get back, go to the gym, and then get back to my scratcher, my, my bed, and I'll have tuna and crackers, and I'll watch Blackadder fall asleep. Wake <laughs> up, repeat. That's, that's, that's Hollywood for you. Is that what you do? I love it. I love it that you're hanging around with all these movie stars going to all these incredible locations and you're watching Blackadder and looking for the KFC. I, I really like that. Do you, do you appreciate it? I mean, because this is, you know, a, a dream job. I don't know how you compare it to the military. Um, but uh, do you do you have to pinch yourself sometimes? Do you feel good about it? Yeah, massively. You know, all my mates uh, you know, from the military are like, you lucky bastard! How did you fall into that one? Yeah, you know, I've always been known as sort of like being in the shit and always coming up smelling of roses. So, um, but this one is—I mean, when I was at the uh, the world premiere for 1917, I'm on the red carpet. I'm being interviewed. I'm, they actually—I went through the proper red carpet. I was being interviewed by by the press and and about my role as a military advisor, and and then obviously at the Baftas, and you know, you think. Well, you know, it's from from being a troublemaker to uh, doing what I'm doing now. <laughs> uh, 19, 1917 is meant to be brilliant. I'd love to see it. What did you do on that? I was I was the military advisor on it, so my job was to um, train the cast, George Mackay and Dean Chapman, uh, and that started back in January last year. Um, train them. Um, help advise on various different aspects. We had a, a historical advisor there as well, Andy Robert Shaw, a uh, real nice guy. He's got a brain like a planet. Um, he, he deals mainly with the historical stuff. Um, and then train all, uh, select and train all the extras. And we had, uh, for one scene, we had 500 extras, but combined it was about 800 extras that I had to train. Um, and I had set days where I'd bring them in First of all, we had uh, an audition, so it was. I felt like a bit like Simon Cow. What I normally do is I have a an audition. I audition extras before. How it goes is that like like what happened with myself. You just apply. They see a picture of you and go, yeah, we want that guy. Um, and you could have you know you could look great, but you could be completely useless and unfit. Uh, and because of my experiences, where I saw a lot of extras were useless and unfit, and they lied about what they'd done as well. So you get a lot of people, Walter Mitty types, that will say, oh yeah, I've done this and done that. And so I have a little selection process. I bring them on and I say, right, who's been in the army? And you get loads of guys putting their hand up and I can just smell them straight away. I went, what was you in? And then they'll come out with some pretend regiment. And I'm like, yeah, you go and get to the side. You need a bit more, learn, you know, a bit more tutoring. And then I'll test their fitness and their physical, ro- physical and uh, me- mental robustness. Because there's no point having a guy, especially on film like Sam Mendes' film, which was a one take, 
everyone had to be on the ball from the from the word go. One person messes messes up, that could potentially be a nine minute long take. And if you messed up right at the end, you got to do it all again. And that's a lot of money. Uh, so I had to make sure I selected the right guys. So once I, once they went through the audition, they did a, like a video audition. Then we bring them, we brought them to Salisbury, and then tested them physically and mentally to make sure that they were the right guys. Um, guys that started jacking after a, a one or two runs of a couple of meet, hundred meters, were like, okay, off to the med wagon, cross because they're no good. Because we got, got we need guys over a twelve hour period that can keep on going and going and going and and and, and still maintain that same energy when they're um, doing, you know, when they're on camera. Um, and then we, then I did the more specific training, weapon handling, weapon safety, weapon safety being paramount because they got bayonets on the end of those rifles. And if you've seen the trailer, you can see George Mackay running down the trench line while hundreds of guys are, are moving out the trench. They've all got bayonets on the end of them, and there was one or two that were very close to catching him. So you then you train him in that, and you, you train him in the tactics. Um, and then I'm I'm on the shoulder of the director. Uh, Sam Mendes and I'm on the shoulder of the two main cast George and Dean and they might ask me oh how would I be feeling and so I'll artic- articulate the feelings of you know of fear of um, you know fear and anger and I, I had I had the the, the 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 voice of God which was this speaker and I gave this speech to all the extras before they went over the top and I told them you know that you are just about to go over the top you're just about potentially to face your death march to your death and these are the feelings this is what you're going to be feeling you're going to be feeling anger angry sorry and you're going to be feeling very you know you know very tense and you know there's only two ways of getting out of it it's a firing squad if you run away or it's closing in and killing the enemy and and that's the basically the speech i was giving these guys the reality of this is what you are because there's nothing worse than an extra smiling while he's going over the top towards the thing which you see in some films, you see an extra in the background, and there he is smiling. Yeah, they get they you, you you get people sort of pulling apart the historical accuracies as well, don't you? Like, oh, well, they wouldn't have been wearing those boots. I, I, you reminded me, I must say that my grandmother's um, dad. I was very close to my grandmother. He was killed in nineteen seventeen. Um, you know, in in the trenches, and I went a couple of years ago to the the graves in Ypres in Belgium, and it's just incredible visiting there. It really, I don't know if you've been. No, I have not. No, no. I, I, I went to France. I've only been to France once. Uh, and that's when I jumped in on the 50th anniversary of the D-Day landings. And um, the, the French government didn't want two battalions worth of paratroopers in, in France. So we jumped in and then buses took us to the airport and flew us straight back to the UK because they just didn't want a load of drunken paratroopers in their country. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually good because I remember we were, um, there was... God, I think there was all three battalions jumped in. So you got 600 odd men in a battalion uh, and all you had was a stream of Hercules. I remember the tailgate opening up just as we went over the cliffs of Dover. Um, so that was our P, uh, P uh, minus 40, which is basically fit equipment, hook up. And then you stood in the door, um, getting ready for the, 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 the doors to open up. And all you could see is a stream of Hercs in, in the background of all the other Hercs. Uh, and we knew that the, 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 uh, all the cameras of the world were watching. And it was actually when I had a malfunction, I, we, just as I went out the door, I had a, there was a bit of turbulence. And I just tipped forward. And then once 
I remember going head over hills and then once things became stable, my legs were up in the air and I had some of the rigging lines of the parachute underneath my legs and I literally had to climb out. Luckily, it was at a 1,000 feet, so I managed to get most of it out, but I was still going down quite fast. And I remember some of the guys on the DZ were running towards me. I'd managed to get rid of my container. I did pull my reserve, but I was going fast, but not fast enough for the reserve to open up. So the, the, the reserve chute just sort of went... <laughs> went down I'm like oh this is going to hurt and I just basically feet and knees together chin on chest and accept the landing that's what you're talking and I thought I'm going to break something smacked hit the ground rolled over got straight back up and all I had was a cut lip and I had my uh, so my mate went did he keep your red handles the red handle of your reserve and I was like I wasn't really thinking about that at the time you know? <laughs> Must keep the red handles on the way down if I pull my reserve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have there been just be- time? Um, just before I ask you my last couple of questions, have I mean, do you feel fear? There must have been times when you were going into incredibly fear, fearful, scary situations. Um, everyone does because you'd be lying if you don't. Um, but it's when the job takes over, and and when you're doing the job, you don't think that you're just focused on your job. Um, you, you don't really you know, you're, you're in it you're, you're, you're living the dream as they say so you're, you're in that and you're doing that and, and sometimes you'll do stupid things and, and when you reflect afterwards to go oh god that was stupid I shouldn't have done that um, you know, why, did, why did I do this or why you know, but I mean it's like with every job every job has its own dangers um, you know bloke working on the road he's only got to step out a little bit and he can get run over so every job has its has its, has its dangers so my, my last question is always about music because I, I believe that music and travel go hand in hand. And I'm going to ask you to pick one song that reminds you of a memorable time and place of travel. Um, what would that song be and why? Um, I'm afraid I, I've got no... I've been told by my wife that I have no soul because she's never even seen me hum a tune. I'm just not into music, really. Um, I, there's, no, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing there. I have actually literally been told you've got no soul for it. I mean, we've been married now for um, 27 years. She said she's never seen me hum a tune once. Really? So there's no music you like or that moves you to tears or to singing or to anything like that? I'll tell you what, there's one tune I like and it's on 1917 and it's the acoustic scene. And when you see it, you'll understand it's the night scene. It was when we, we did two weeks of night shoots in the um, back lot up in Shepparton Studios. And it's a scene where the character wakes up uh, and the camera then follows through into this, this bombed out building. And it's the score that goes with it that does go. You, when you see it, once you see it, you'll understand. And the other one is the score just as he gets out of the trench and goes running down. That gives me a bit of a, because I know that, I trained all those guys. I trained him, and I, I was involved in that. But that's the only. Other than that, that's it. There's no. I don't run to music. I don't train to music. Um, quite boring, really, aren't I? <laughs> you're a bit. I think. I don't think you're boring. I think you're a bit of a machine. Have you always been a machine, or did the army make you into one? Oh, I think that was my dad. Really, my dad was the first person to break my nose when I was about twelve. So, <laughs> God, he's. Uh, he started off. He was an ex-para as well. Um, he was an ex-para, and um, he actually it was a thing I did for the Crown, which was the Suez uh, Canal scene in 1956. He jumped in that. 
and I was coordinating and advising for that scene. So that was a big deal for me because I thought my dad jumped here and now I'm coordinating this scene for The Crown. Um, so were you actually in the Suez Canal? No, I wasn't. That's 1956. I obviously got good no, skin. No, cream, I, no, I mean, where were you filming it? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, we were filming it in, um, in a studio in London. <laughs> we had a mock-up plane um, in there, but I had to I obviously trained all the guys how to jump and train the actors how they would act and everything else. But I was and then coordinating the whole jump scene, which was, for me, a big deal, because obviously that's my dad had jumped there in 1956, so... Yeah, wow, that is amazing. Paul, thank you. It's been really fascinating talking to you. Where, what's your next project, do you know? Well, I'm I'm currently doing Skype interviews and I'm I'm testing out a game, um a popular a popular military game. It's called Sniper Elite. Um and I'm working on that for Rebellion. So I'm I've basically being paid to play a game and see where we can improve it. I was working on I should be working back on Foundation. There's a, another job in Malaysia called um, Rescuing Black Hawk, which is the true story of uh, Black Hawk Down. Uh, or should I say the untold story, the, the story the Americans forgot to tell them, tell everyone that it was actually a 100-strong Malaysian force that rescued the 75 Americans, uh, which they never mentioned on the original film. They forgot to mention it. And, the, and, the, and Americans only just acknowledged that, yeah, you did actually save our backsides. So I'm helping on a film with that, um, and that film's in Malaysia. Well, it should. it's supposed to be now. Uh, obviously, I've got Foundation, which is in Malta and uh, Canary Islands. And, oh, I mean, just finished Gangs of London. I, I hadn't long finished Gangs of London, which is on at the moment. I don't know if you've seen that one. Um, and I watched the. Uh, I have to be honest with you. I watched the first two or three minutes the other day, and I didn't think I had the. Uh, I had the stomach for it. It looks really terrifying and violent, but everyone's raving about it. It's, it is, it's really yeah, and, and I. I mean, they're going to do another season, so I'll, I'll probably be working on that at some point. Um, but, and there's other, there's some other stuff which I can't mention because of NDAs. Um, one is a Steven Spielberg uh, gig. Uh, so yeah, there's. I mean, there's so much work. That's why I set a company up because I was I was doing so much that I couldn't be everywhere. Um, so I set a company up, and now what I do is I get ex-servicemen, I get them to be an extra, exactly the same as myself. So they got some experience on the grassroots, and then I draw them in and I set them on jobs. So I've got I'm actually sending guys out all around the world as well to represent me and, and my company. Thank you so much, Paul, and thank you so much for listening to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm enjoying the lovely messages we're getting via social media. I really love it when you get in touch, so please seek us out and I'll always reply. See you soon. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.